Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Obviously, I am not Colin. I'm Jordan. If, if we've not met before, I am the lead minister here at FCC and part-time worship leader once or twice a year, so it's nice to meet you. Uh, I have been getting a lot of uh, videos come across my Facebook Reels. If you're not familiar with that, it's those little videos that show up on your Facebook feed, um, and they're always like a couple seconds long, and usually they're funny or something. But I've been getting a lot of Reels come across that are guys at the gym working out like hard, like really putting up some massive weight, and not just putting it like a lot of plates on the bar, but also putting gym equipment on the bar on top of the plates and putting that up, and sometimes even like being on an exercise ball, and like incredibly dangerous stuff. I don't know how the gym lets them do this. It's got to be an insurance liability. But I'm watching this, and I'm, just, I'm kind of amazed, honestly. I'm really impressed. But I also find myself saying, I wish I looked like those guys, because they're all super fit and ripped, and like they fill out a shirt. And for once in my life, I want to fill out a shirt, right? And so these are the videos that come across. I want to look like those guys. But I also have these other videos that sometimes come across my feed. And it's videos of sometimes these same guys talking about what it takes to get to that point. And it's always waking up super early so that you can be in the gym at 6.30 and like measuring out five like dietarily approved meals so that you can get all your lean proteins and veggies and starches like and eat a ton. And then like cutting out sugars and caffeine and chemicals and stuff from your body so you don't have all that junk in there. And I watch these same videos in my chair eating a whole bag of Doritos in one sitting. And I say, nah, it's not worth it, right? Have you ever had a circumstance like that before where you want something? You want to achieve something, you want to accomplish something, you want to attain something, but you're not really on board with the whole pathway of getting there. Like the road seems a little too arduous at times. I'm sure we've been there a time or two in our lives. And it happens all the time, you know? Oftentimes, if we want a certain experience or a certain blessing in our lives, it requires a certain pathway to get there, to experience it. And that sentiment is kind of baked into our message this morning. Today, we're gonna continue a series that we started back in December. It's called A Year-ish with Jesus. And we're gonna be spending probably 15, 16 months working through the Gospel of Matthew. So far, if you haven't been with us, I'll catch you up to speed. Jesus has put his big program out for us to understand. It is this. It's the kingdom of God. It's one of the very first things he preaches when his ministry starts. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he starts to kind of show us what that looks like, what it means for God to be in charge in this undeniable way. And he calls his disciples, and it kind of looks like abandoning things that hold us down in order to follow Jesus more faithfully. And he starts healing people and casting out demons. And in other words, just kind of pushing evil out and letting good fill the void and take its place. This is the kind of thing you would expect if God were really in charge. Good wins. And we've witnessed this in the gospel and we've heard the call to come and to follow. But it kind of opens us up to this question. What does it really mean to like live as part of the kingdom of God. What does that mean for my life? How does that change my experiences of things? And today we're going to dive into a section of teaching that kind of answers that question. It's one of the most famous sections and collections of teaching probably on planet earth. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very famous sermon preached by Jesus. It's only about three chapters or so, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. And it's obviously not the end-all, be-all situation uh, that, you know, God wants everything of our lives, but it gives us a really good picture 
of the kind of life that God desires for us and for his people to live in in this new kingdom. And it begins in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. So if you have your Bible with you, why don't you open up to Matthew 5, or you can follow along on the screen behind, or download the FCC Monmouth app to your mobile device and tap the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner. You'll find sermon notes along with our passage pulled up and an outline so you can engage and maybe take some notes and get the most out of our time together. So we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and the section we're looking at today is the introduction It's traditionally known as the Beatitudes, which we all know what that word means, right? We use it all the time. We use it with our kids. Don't you cop a Beatitude with me, right? But contrary to that, that's not actually what the word means. So Beatitude is really, it's not an English word. It's just a word that means high blessing. And it's fitting because this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount is a series of nine blessings that Jesus pronounces on the people that are listening as he's preaching. Which is fitting, because if God is in charge, you would expect things to not only be, you know, good, you'd expect them to be blessed, right? I think that's reasonable. And the question is, how do we experience that? How do we experience the blessing of God's kingdom, of his goodness, of what he's doing in this world, in our own lives? And just like we said earlier, if there's something you want to achieve or attain, oftentimes there is a particular path to get there. And this is no exception. If we want to experience the blessings of God's kingdom in our lives— then we have to walk the path of the Beatitudes. And when we start to break these down, they break down very conveniently into maybe three little collections. There's two triplets and then a doublet. And they kind of lay out some instructions for us. So the first one is this. If we want to experience the blessing of God's kingdom in our lives, it's a matter of the heart. We have to begin to want the things that God wants. And we get that picture when we read these first few Beatitudes, starting in chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, just hearing that initially, maybe you notice the first thing that I do. These don't sound like blessed states or conditions of life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And granted, as poor in spirit, hunger and thirst for righteousness, these aren't talking about our physical conditions necessarily. But in using these types of phrases and in wording things this way, Jesus is starting to make a very important point for his listeners and for us today. Our experience of life, even if it's a negative experience, does not negate or undo the blessings of God's kingdom. It is entirely possible to experience both difficulties in life now and the blessings of God being in charge at the same time. This is not a a weird thing, and it's something, in fact, that we need to embrace. It's something that was very important for first century Jewish people that Jesus was preaching to, because in many instances, they were actually poor and sorrowful and mourning and hungry. They lived under the thumb of the Roman Empire. This was not a flourishing community of people by any means. They were subjugated to heavy taxes and burdens of all kinds of different varieties. And so Jesus is using phrases and terminology that they would resonate on multiple levels. But this would be the main point. Experiencing negative things in life does not undo the blessedness of being in God's kingdom. And in fact, sometimes experiencing the challenges of life can cause our hearts to yearn for the things of God even more. You take some of these Beatitudes, they're good examples of this. We'll start at the top. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
To be poor in spirit doesn't mean that like you have a bad spiritual life or that you are just sort of lacking when it comes to faith or anything like that. Rather, it is a recognition of our own spiritual bankruptcy. I am not righteous unto myself. I'm just not. I can try my hardest, but I'm always going to fall short. I have a desperate need for God's grace and God's mercy in my life. To be poor in spirit is to be needy for God's mercy. And that's exactly how we ought to be. That's how we were created, by the way. If we were to rewind and go all the way back to the book of Genesis, to the creation story, and God creates mankind, the word that he uses there is the word nefesh. It's a Hebrew word. And many times that word is associated with the throat in some of its later uses. The throat is the place where, in Old Testament thought, you drink water and because you need water to live, and you swallow food because you need food to live. And they weren't biology majors. It's how you breathe because you need air to go through your throat, and they didn't know about lungs and stuff. The throat became synonymous with life. And the neediness of the throat in particular became synonymous with life. We are needy creatures, continually and perpetually needing something to stay alive. And the thing that we need more than anything is not food, water, or breath, but it is the Spirit of God sustaining us and keeping us alive. That's some Hebrew anthropology for us. We ought to be needy people. In fact, it's good to recognize I desperately need God and his grace and his work in my life. And Jesus says, if you recognize that, if that's you, way to go. Blessed are you. Because this kingdom that God is bringing about, it's for people like you. People that need him. And we come to recognize that need sometimes through the difficulties and the challenges of life. And those moments where try as we might, it just seems like things pile up and pile up and pile up, and we recognize the only one that can sustain me and get me through this is the living God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning. This is a sadness, but it's not just like a, oh, I'm sad because it snowed outside, though that's probably a lot of us. Uh, it's not a sadness even because we've lost somebody. Really, this is a reference to the Old Testament the way that the prophets used to speak, particularly the prophet Isaiah. He would oftentimes use words like weeping and mourning to uh, talk about the, the consternation or the repentant heart of the Israelites, especially after their country had been destroyed. You see, this was a monumental uh, point in Israelite history. Their sin, their rejection of God, their continual idolatry, their continual rebellion against him eventually reached a breaking point where God allowed the nation of Babylon to come in and wipe out their people, to destroy their nation, to tear the temple down brick from brick, to annihilate their understanding of themselves and their history and their identity, and to be taken as captives into a foreign land. And when the Jewish people reflected on that, they, they mourned over their loss, they also mourned because they knew what caused it. It was their own rebellion and sinfulness. Those who mourn, as Jesus speaks, are those who mourn sin in this world and the effects it has on this world. The devastation it causes maybe in our own lives, maybe in the lives of our friends and family, maybe in our community or our country. If you have looked at a situation and you shook your head and you've been saddened and frustrated and moved because of evil, that's the kind of mourning we're talking about. Maybe another illustration, we think about war, for instance. 
war has a lot of terrible things associated with it. I mean, you could be angry and you could be saddened by the destruction or by the casualties or the injuries or the cultural and economic devastation. Lots of things to be sad about when it comes to war. But the kind of mourning Jesus is talking about would be those who are frustrated or saddened because war even exists. This idea that people could do this to one another and that the image of God that God has blessed every one of us to bear and to carry could be so easily discarded and desecrated in such heinous ways saddens us, how far humanity has fallen. That's what we mean when we talk about mourning. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. In this kingdom that God is establishing, sin and all of its devastation is on its way out. And that's some good news. He says, blessed are the meek. And the meek are not weak. And it's not even really a matter of humbleness, but rather meekness means I will not assert myself in order to benefit myself. Rather than seeking something like vengeance or some sort of vigilante justice or I'm going to get back at them, I will choose to trust that God is who he says he is. That he is a great and righteous judge, that he sees all things and he will handle it. Meek simply means trusting God will be the judge. And blessed are those who trust, because they will inherit the earth. There will be a reward. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is a yearning for the ways of God, not just in my own life, but really just to be normalized in the world. I want to see things like integrity and uprightness and honesty be celebrated and expected. I don't want to be surprised when someone in power chooses to do the right thing. This should be normal. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, this is that attitude. And Jesus says, blessed are you. You will be filled because in this kingdom God is bringing, that will be the norm. These are the kinds of things that the heart of God yearns for. He wants to see his people rely on him as they were created to. He wants to see sin abolished. He wants to see justice upheld and faithful people trust him to do so. He wants to see his ways normalized. And when you and I come to expect and yearn and want those same things, our hearts are lining up with his. We are wanting what God wants. And it only makes sense that if we are in alignment with God, that there would be blessing that follows. It's not that different from raising children in some ways. You know, we all have values that we want to impress upon our kids. And we're happy when our kids start to demonstrate that. We might even want to celebrate and maybe even reward them a little bit for doing the right thing. In our house, honesty is one of those values. I tell my boys a lot, your integrity, they don't understand this, I know, but I have to say it. Your integrity is all you have, and when you sell it, you cannot buy it back. So we try to impress that upon them in a young age. Honesty matters. There was a day, uh, several weeks ago, Levi, my oldest, was sitting on his bed. And he was in trouble for something, so he was in a timeout. So I gave him some time, and I went in, and we talked about it, and we said, well, here's how you could handle things differently next time. He said, I understand. So he got up, and as he's walking out the door, he turns and he says, Dad, I promise to always tell the truth about hitting my brother. And that was a win, because in the past, that wasn't always the case. You know, little kids, they don't want to get in trouble, so they lie. That's where this conversation about honesty comes in, right? So I was very proud that in that moment, he was committing to honesty, and he was resisting this temptation to, to, to deceive. The troubling part, the reason he was on his bed had nothing to do with hitting his brother. This was just like a premeditated, preemptive apology. 
because like he was just thinking, I'm going to go punch Ben. I'm going to go punch Ben. But he was honest about it. So it was kind of this baby step. We're, we're getting there, right? When our values are imitated in our children, we want to celebrate. We're happy about that. We might even want to reward them. The same follows with God. When his people have hearts that line up with his, it is natural that there would be blessing that follows, that we would experience the goodness of being in God's kingdom. This is not all, though, obviously, because we have a lot more Beatitudes. When we keep going, we look at this next collection, this next triplet, we see that not only ought we to have hearts that yearn for what God yearns for, we also should be practicing God's character if we want to experience the blessing of his kingdom. So not just wanting what God wants, but also doing the kinds of things that God does. Let's look at the next collection. It's in verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. When we look through these Beatitudes, there's some characteristics of God that kind of jump out to us. Maybe mercy is the most readily recognizable. God is synonymous with mercy. That's who he is. That is his character. If you read the entirety of Scripture, sometimes, you know, people like to highlight, well, you know, he started this war, he annihilated this people, or he sent these plagues, and he did. There's a reason for all of those. But beyond those isolated incidents, the overwhelming story of Scripture is one of God's patience and forbearance, giving the people of Israel second chance after second chance after second chance after second chance after second chance for a few thousand years before he finally said enough is enough. It is the story of God's mercy. If we go to the New Testament, the central core theme is the gospel. That God would reach into this world and would supply humanity with a second chance through the death of his son. Not because we deserved it or because we earned it or we were just so adorable, but because he's kind. Because he is loving and because he is, in a word, merciful. That's who he is. He demonstrates it consistently. It makes sense, then, if we are people who have experienced and received God's mercy that we might share it a little bit, pass it on to others. I mean, it only seems fair, right? Again, I don't want to use my kids as illustrations all the time. Some people think I talk about them too much, but I will, I'll just confess, as preachers, one of the reasons we have children is because it makes our lives easier. They provide an endless number of sermon illustrations, right? So here's another one. So the other day, my son, both my sons love Takis, these really spicy little corn roll chip things. And they're good, but they're, they're pretty spicy, so I'm surprised they like them. But they, they both love them, and my oldest, he said, Dad, can I have some Takis? And I said, yeah, sure. And I was, must have been in a generous mood because I got the big snack bowl and filled it up with Takis and gave it to him and said, thanks. I, I'd give him quite a few, probably too many. He wasn't going to eat dinner that night. And so he was sitting there eating, and his little brother, Ben, who's three, saw these and did what every little brother on planet Earth has ever done. I want what my brother has. And so he says, Levi, can I have a Taki, please? And Levi covers them up and says, no, Ben, these are mine. And I was very frustrated in this because I had given him so much. There was way more than he needed. And it wasn't going to kill him to share just one. And sometimes I think maybe that's how God looks at us. He lavishes grace on us. And he just pours out an abundance of mercy far beyond what we deserve. And the expectation is that we can maybe share it and give a little to other people that we could forgive as we've been forgiven. 
that we could be patient with others as he's been patient with us. And when we begin to embody that attitude, that characteristic, we are resembling who God is. The same as when we practice peacemaking. We read this other beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The Greek is actually sons of God, and that's not like a gender-exclusive thing. Sons is a legal term. You will be heirs. You will be official legal members of the family. See, God is also not just merciful. He's, he's a God of peacemaking. The whole gospel story is the story of God making peace with us, even though it really wasn't his fault to begin with. We had sinned, we had rejected him, we'd rebelled against him. We could all count the ways that we've done that individually in our own lives, how we've walked away from him. And that sin has consequences. It separates us. It keeps us at arm's length from God. The same way that if you were maybe in an argument with somebody and it got heated and they said something hurtful, maybe you don't want to talk to them right away, right? There's some tension there, relational distance. The beauty of the gospel is that even though we were the ones that caused this animosity, God is the one who took the initial step and said, I will reconcile this relationship. And I'll send my son into this world, and though he is righteous and in every sense of the word undeserving of what will happen to him, he will lay down his life, and his death will cover over the consequence of your sin. And his sacrifice will be sufficient so that whatever distance, animosity, rebellion, rejection wants to between us, that gap will be closed. We will be reconciled and we can have peace between us. That's God's work in the gospel. And here's the thing. When we start to imitate that in our own lives, when we go to our friends or our families or our coworkers or our loud neighbors and we start to take the first step to reconcile, to say, hey, I... Even if I only have 10% to own in this scenario, I want to apologize for what I've contributed to this. I want to make this right. Or with our spouse when we're in an argument, even though you feel like you're in the right, you go and you say, look, I don't understand. I want to talk about this. I want to make this right. So help me understand. Taking those steps to humble ourselves and to pursue peace in our lives and in our families and in our communities, that imitates the very character of God. To such a degree, when we practice what the Son of God himself did, we ourselves can be called sons of God, daughters of God, children of God, because our character matches his so fully. If we want to taste the blessings of God's kingdom and experience the goodness of him being in control, it starts with our hearts wanting what he wants and our characters yearning to do the kinds of things that he does. And you're probably seeing a pattern here that the key to experiencing the blessing and God's goodness in his kingdom is drawing close to him, walking with him, being in this relationship with him, following him, which is why this last point is probably not that surprising. Our Beatitudes remind us that if we want to taste the blessings of the kingdom, we also must be committed to the will of God. Now, let me explain that phrase a little bit, the will of God. I'm not talking about some individualistic plan that God has for your life. I'm talking about the general will that God has for every human person on this planet. His desire for mankind. And we'll clarify that in just a minute. Let's read these Beatitudes. Verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So once again, we have these conditions and these states that really don't sound that blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Yeah. 
Blessed are you when you are insulted, when you are rejected, and so on. Again, we're tasting life's difficulties, the bitterness of living in this place at times. But I would point out, notice why these challenging circumstances exist. Blessed when you are persecuted because of righteousness. Not just the existence of righteousness, but a commitment to righteousness because you walk a righteous road, because you walk a straight and narrow. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when you are insulted or when you are rejected because of me, not just the, the existence of Jesus, but a commitment to Jesus, a faith and a following of Jesus. These are the things that we mean when we talk about the will of God. It's God's desire that everybody on this planet would come and say, I trust in Jesus to save me, and I believe in the good news of the gospel. It's God's will and desire that every person on the planet would walk upright and righteous down straight and narrow paths and celebrate his ways as supreme in their life. That's his will, his desire, what he desperately wants for every single one of us in this room. And when we're committed to that, man, how could blessing not follow? But how could difficulty also not follow? Because again, we don't live in a world that celebrates these things. And it's tempting when we experience the challenge, when our faith makes life more complicated, when doing the right thing requires sacrifice or puts us at risk, or when following Christ and being faithful to him is uncomfortable, it's challenging in those moments to, to maybe lean away or to maybe keep God at, at arm's length. Sometimes in those moments, people, they, they get angry at God. Sometimes they blame God. I'm, I'm trying to follow you here. and like Things are really hard. Even though I'm trying to do the right thing, what gives? And there's a temptation to lean away from him in those times. The reality is, and it's kind of ironic, those are the times when we need him the most, when we most need to lean into him. And it's not that dissimilar from really a wounded animal. If you've ever seen a cat or a dog who's hurt, a lot of times they will isolate and they will go hide and they, would, they just want to be by themselves. They want to be alone. And if somebody approaches them, they, they maybe get a little aggressive and they may bare their teeth or they may growl or snarl. They may even snap and try to bite. They don't want you near them. The irony is that's when they most need people to draw near and to provide healing that they themselves cannot provide and to provide strength and comfort that they themselves lack the ability to provide for themselves. And in that same way, when we face the difficulties of life and we're most tempted to keep God at arm's length or to shy away or isolate, that's when we need to draw nearest to him. Jesus reminds us and he encourages us towards this end. He says, hey, I know things are difficult when you're persecuted, when you're insulted, when you're rejected, but hey, great, great is your reward in heaven. And I know that may seem like a consolation prize at times. And in fact, all these beatitudes, the blessings of the kingdom, we may be tempted to think of them that way. I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't point out there's nine beatitudes, only three of them say that the blessing is present tense. Six of them are future they will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. A lot of our trust, a lot of our blessing that we'll experience comes later when God's work is more fully realized and recognized, completed in this world. And to continue following him, especially in the difficulties, knowing that something is waiting requires faith, requires trust, requires commitment. The other encouragement that Jesus gives us is, hey, you stand in good company when you experience these things in life. Remember the prophets of the Old Testament. These were the chosen men and women who were messengers of God's word to his people. These were people that some worked miracles. These were the heroes of the Old Testament, unquestionably the good guys. 
And they were treated the same way, rejected, persecuted, insulted, because of righteousness, because of him. You stand in good company. Foster that commitment to the gospel. Foster that commitment to righteousness. Refuse to let go because that is key and crucial if we want to taste the blessings of God's kingdom, not just now, but to come. These are the Beatitudes. Like we said earlier, if we want to taste the blessings and the goodness of God's kingdom, it requires walking a certain path, and and this is it. Wanting the things that God wants. Cultivating a character like God's and doing what he does. Being committed to what he wants, his will in our lives. And we are blessed when we foster this kind of relationship and closeness with him. But I would encourage us, or rather discourage us, from looking at the Beatitudes as some sort of checklist. There's a temptation, we have a list of things to kind of go down and go, all right, well, I'm really good at mercy. Uh, I could probably make a little more peace. I really do want righteousness. I hate that sin stuff. Uh, So I got that one, but not that one. That's not really the purpose of these. I would instead encourage us to look at this more as a check-up, a sort of an assessment. Ask ourselves these questions. How's my heart today? Does it want the kinds of things that God wants? Am I bothered when I see evil and wickedness in the world? Does it sadden me a little bit when I see people I care about suffer needlessly at the hands of unrighteousness? Do I yearn to see the ways of God normalized? Do I want to see integrity and uprightness and justice become normal, not just in my own life, but but everywhere? If your heart yearns for those things, Jesus says, blessed are you. Because you are well on your way to wanting the things that God wants. And you're who you need to be for this coming kingdom. Or maybe ask, how's my character? Am I living a certain kind of life? Am I doing the things that God himself would do? Am I, am I showing mercy? Am I willing to extend grace to people? Or is my first instinct to be wrathful or vengeful, to, to hold a grudge, to write someone off? Am I willing to make peace with somebody and reconcile? Will I take the first step? Will I humble myself? This is hard, guys. Let's not pretend like this is easy. Will I humble myself and take the first step, even if I only have 5% of the blame to shoulder, and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I've contributed to this. I want to reconcile and make amends. Will I make peace in my community? If we're doing these things, if we're making peace, if we're offering mercy and grace, Jesus says, blessed are you. You are well on your way to being who you need to be for this kingdom that God is bringing and ushering in. But if we stumble at these points, maybe an important question to ask ourselves is why? Why is it difficult for me to offer grace? Why is it difficult for me to want to make peace, humble myself? Why is it difficult to want what God wants and to do what God does? And it may even be worth asking, Am I really committed to to his will? Am I committed to him and what he wants, or or am I just committed to the idea of him? I really like the gospel. I really like forgiveness of sins. I really like that Jesus saved me. I love those ideas. But that's very different from being committed to the person of Jesus who died and who saved us, and to walking with him, and knowing him and following him, and growing in him. If you're someone who is committed to Christ and to God's will for your life in that way, I would encourage you, make it a point to grow 
in these ways of mercy and peacemaking and, and, and reconciliation. These are huge, huge ways that we begin to shape our hearts and our character to look more and more like him. Or if you're somebody who has not yet decided that you want to follow Jesus, but you're curious, or you're someone that says, you know, I think I've just been following the idea of Jesus and I want to get to actually know him, I'd strongly encourage you, there's a connection card on the back of the seat in front of you. Just grab that. Write your name, your phone number, and say, I want to talk about Jesus. You don't need to get any more specific than that. And we'll set up an appointment, get together, and we'll talk about what it means to follow Jesus, to know him to be faithful to him, to want the things that God wants, to do the things that God does, and taste the blessings of this kingdom, not just now, but forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy.